Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. So we'll wait for some people to join here. Okay. Trying to get some people coming in. All right. How's it going, everybody? Uh, this is Jake Franger back again for Saturday Morning Scrambles for Broad Street Hockey. Um, so I got a couple questions off of Twitter we're going to answer. Uh, some fun stuff. Getting into some camp battles, getting into some season expectations, things of that nature. Um, and then as we go, I'll let you guys know when we're done with the Twitter questions and we can start looking at some questions if you have any uh, while we're going through some things here. All right. Um, so first, I'm actually going to start with a comment from... Maddie Campbell from Rajkidaki. Um, so she said, everybody go ask Jake super specific medical questions that he is legally not allowed to answer. You're welcome, buddy. Um, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, and it was discussed on the podcast this week, um, I am a physical therapist, so I am technically a doctor. Um, so any medical questions I'm technically not allowed to answer. Um, but I can be very vague for you, if that's okay. Um, speaking of which, Kelly Hinkle then responded with, yes, hello, if a hockey player's right knee made a loud noise when going up and down steps, would that hockey player be put on LTIR? Thanks. That is a great question, Kelly. Um, so hypothetically, let's call that hockey player Pelly Schminkel. Um, if Pelly had pain when going up and down the stairs and heard a loud noise, uh, Pelly should probably go see a PT. Uh, the follow-up question after that was from Brendan, and he asked, yes, Jake, could you please do your job and help Sean Couturier recover from his knee injury? I would love to help Sean Couturier recover from his knee injury. Uh, that would be pretty awesome to treat Sean Couturier. I am not treating Sean Couturier. Um, the clinic that I work at is actually down the street from the Voorhees Skate Zone. Um, so I would love to treat Sean Couturier, but I am not treating Sean Couturier. Um, but if Sean ever wants to stop by and let me take a look at his name, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so now we'll, we'll get into the actual questions here. Um, this is from Mid-Major Matt. So he says, some mouthpiece on radio was doing a top three Philadelphia athletes and had no flyers on it. Do you agree? So that's actually an interesting question. First and foremost, I am a hockey fan first. I do follow all major sports. Um, I'm a 4 for 4 guy when it comes to that. That being said, uh, the Flyers are in kind of an interesting situation with the rest of the sports teams. A, I mean, a you know, aside from just being a top three, I don't understand why it's a top three, not a top four. There's four teams in this city. It should be a top four. Um, that's one. Two, the Flyers are in a situation where they don't really have what someone would call a generational talent on their team. So when you look at the Sixers, you have guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. When you look at the Eagles, they have guys like Carson Wentz and Fletcher Cox. When you look at... You know, the Phillies, they're kind of dominating over the Flyers at the moment because it's summer and they're playing right now in the middle of the playoff race. Um, I wouldn't say that the Phillies have a generational talent either. Um, so I wouldn't even have a Philly in the top three or four if we're going to go just purely based on who's talented and who's you know, generationally talented, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, you know, the top three, if you're just going purely based on, like I said, generational talent, I think you'd have to go with Joel Embiid, Carson Wentz, and Ben Simmons, and whatever order you want to put them in. Um, so you're not having any Phillies or Flyers in that sense. If you're just going to go, you know, the top four in terms of who's the top on each team, that's a different discussion, and that's one that I think they should have. Um, but it's all, you know, a question of, I guess what their definition of top three Philadelphia athletes would be. So, like I said, if you're going to go, I think I did this on Twitter yesterday or something. Somebody tweeted out something about who's your favorite player on each team. Um, so I put that out there on Twitter. Um, you know, I had Fletcher Cox, Sean Pateri, Aaron Nola, and um, Joel Embiid. I'm not saying that Sean Pateri is the best player in the Flyers, it's just he's my favorite player. Um, but yeah, so I mean, in terms of the mouthpieces on radio, it's radio. Uh, so the next question was from Brent W. He said, hi, Jake, if Sanheim is allowed to play, i.e. Dave doesn't send him to the press box, what are your expectations for the guy? Point totals, usage, etc." Um, so this is good timing for this question, actually, because Brad Keffer from Broadway Hockey actually just um, put out his article for the top 2525. Um, so for those of you who haven't yet read it this morning, it's a great article, highly suggested. Um, Sandheim came in at number five on our list. So um, in terms of you know what my expectations are for Sandheim, to me Sandheim is a top three defenseman on this team. I think it's it's Debatable if you want to throw Radko Gudis into that situation. Um, I know he's not everybody, not, you know, everybody's best favorite player at this point after what happened last year. But all things considered, through his time in Philadelphia, Radko Gudis has actually been a very good defenseman. So I think it's debatable there at least. But Sandheim definitely has more overall raw talent to put to bring to the table. Um, so in that sense. To me, he should be used as a top four defenseman on this team. Now, will he not out of the gate? I don't think so. Um, I think you're going to see similar pairs to what we saw towards the end of last year. Um, I would hope the program does start together. You're probably looking at McDonald and um, probably McDonald and, and Hay getting put together and Gudis and Sandheim, which is fine. If that's the case, though, I think Gudis and Sandheim started out as a third pair like they did last year. Um, they probably should be the second pair, but they're probably going to end up being used as the third pair to start. If he decides to go with McDonald and Sandheim, which I'm not thrilled with because I don't like anchoring Sandheim to McDonald, but if he decides to do that, then you may see Sandheim get at least top four minutes at five on five. Um, but I mean, all said and done, he should be getting the third most defense minutes on this team, in my opinion. Power play time, absolutely. Um, you know, that, that was a thing that, to me, I would have done with him last year. I know it's, it's considered to be like a, you know, earn your stripes kind of situation with coaches when it comes to power play. Um, to me, it should just be your best players play on, in those situations. You know, you're, you're up a man. You should have your most talented players on the ice in the situations and the guys that are best in that situation in that situation. Um, Sandheim is one of those guys. He's, he's amazing on the power play. He's been amazing all throughout his junior career. He was amazing in the AHL. So there's no reason to think that he wouldn't be at least very good in the NHL. Um, so, you know, I think if he gets the opportunities he should get, I don't see any reason why he can't put up around 30 points this year as his second year, and, and that's pretty serviceable, especially if he's going to continue to drive play like he did last year, and um, both in terms of just overall shots and quality shots. Um, you know, Brad mentioned in his article today, um, you know, Sanheim and Gudis, when they were paired together last year, their Corsi 4 percentages over 56%. Uh, their expected goals numbers were over 56%. They just had really shitty luck. Um, you know, the Sanheim's on high shooting percentage last year was 5%, basically, and his you know, save percentage was around 90. That sucks. And, you know, I mean, and that's, you can obviously attribute part of that to Sanheim, but, you know, 
being a rookie and having certain mistakes here and there, and he's not the best defensively yet. Uh, but for him to have that bad of a luck, considering how much he drove play last year, uh, you know, I think it's it's only a matter of time before that kind of turns around for him in a positive way. And it kind of did when he got paired with McDonald. I mean, that PDO went from 95 to 103 when he got put with him last year. Um, you know, Amex seems to be a PDO god. <laughs> so it's it's a I think ultimately Sandheim will end up getting that luck to go his way a little bit more and you'll see him you know, start to put up the points that he really kind of should have last year um, so hopefully that answers the question there uh, so the next question was from Paul so he said uh, new writer brush your hockey by the way so shout out to Paul uh, most consider the Flyers to be a near lock for the playoffs and have set the season's success far at advancing to the second round. So where is your personal bar set for the success of this team this year? I think that's a fair bar to set. Um, you know, I, this year the team is more talented on paper. I think that's fairly evident. Um, Sandheim should be here a full year. Lindblom should be here a full year. Patrick should be himself if not, you know, a better version of what we saw towards the end of last season, which is, you know, scary to think about for um, what's to come with him. Um, Konechny, hopefully, is going to be a top six staple. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at maybe a little bit more talented um, bottom six now with, with Simmons probably going to get shifted down there with, with the addition of JVR. Power play should be better. Um Kind of the kills up in the air and goalie situation is the same but you know overall on paper i think this team has gotten significantly better and the, and the rest of the division for the most part stood pretty pat overall um maybe even got a little bit worse in certain situations so i think it's fair to assume that the flyers are going to be somewhere in that again top three range in the metro um and with certain teams like pittsburgh and, and you know washington not necessarily getting better um in Pittsburgh's case i think they actually got a little worse you know i think you're looking at a situation where um the flyers should be in position to win a playoff round this year and i think that's where their mindset is you know, i think that's where the addition of jvr really kind of stands out i don't think hextall would have gone with a move like that you know and again it was it's, this has been discussed before but it was kind of an under the radar move locally for the Flyers to get JVR, probably because he was a former player here. But that was a big signing. He was the second biggest signing out there after Tavares. So, you know, with Carlson being off the market early, um, John Carlson I'm talking about. So, in that sense, um, you know, I think the Flyers are trying to go for it this year. I think Hextel has that mindset where, you know, they want to make a push for the playoffs and they don't want it to be a one-and-done situation, especially the same situation they had with Pittsburgh last year where they got annihilated. I don't care that the game that they went six games, the Flyers were completely overmatched in that series. Um, if not for a one-legged Sean Couturier, just willing them to <laughs> victory. So at least trying to in game six. So, uh, you know, I think they have to do better than that this year. Uh, it's They just have to. It's not going to be a, a, an okay situation to – you know, um, get blown out in the first round again. You know, and I think at that point you definitely have to question Dave Axtell's acumen if you're not already, which is fair if you are. Um, but, you know, that's where I would set it. Now, if they make it a competitive first-round series, you know, and say they take it a legitimate six games or a legitimate seven games and they have a couple injuries along the way and, you know, things just aren't going their way or whatever, you know, certain situations here and there, I, I can't predict, obviously. So it's hard to kind of go down that road. But overall, yeah, I would want the Flyers to get to the, at least the second round this year to show that growth. I think it's important for the young players to get that experience in the playoffs. I think it's important that, you know, guys like Jeroen Voracek can kind of break past that wall of, you know, getting through the first round and maybe even getting through the second round. Um, you know, Jeroen hasn't been there since he was a rookie, really, and, and Voracek hasn't ever been there, you know, in terms of being past the second round of the playoffs. So 
um, it's important for those guys. I think it's important immensely for those guys, confidence-wise. You know, I don't put a lot of stake in intangibles most of the time, but when it comes to the playoffs, it's important for those guys. I know it's important to them, so it, it's it's important. Um, a couple other questions. So um, this is from Ted. Um, why is there an aversion to the use of analytics in the NHL? <laughs> Many teams have an analytics department. However, it wouldn't surprise me if said department shared their findings with coaches. Findings don't mesh with the coaches' beliefs. Findings meet their new home equals the shredder. Um, it's a great question, Ted. I mean, when it comes down to it, I think it's just the NHL is a very old-school league. It took baseball forever to break into it. Um, you know, and now it's it's very prominent there. Basketball and football are obviously in that realm now. Um, with the Eagles, you know, just winning the Super Bowl, they're one of the best, if not the best, um, you know, analytics groups in football. So, that, you know, I think the NHL is just stubborn when it comes down to it. I don't think it's it's anything in terms of like, a, you know, a, a lack of knowledge or anything like that. I just think it's they're stubborn to change. I think they, they, for whatever reason, like being a niche sport. They like the fact that they're different. Um, it's just a shame, really, because I think they can really grow the sport. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of good people out there, good, you know, people that um, bloggers and people on Twitter that, you know, that I follow that are doing great work out there trying to, you know, advance the sport um, in their way. And, I think the NHL could really benefit from people like that, but until they decide to, you know, break down their walls and, and open themselves up to that, it's, you know, it's still going to be a good product. It's not going to be as good of a product as it probably should be and can be. Um, so this one is from this next one's from Brandon. Uh, so Brandon says, "What are your thoughts on the three C four C situation, and who do you think realistically realistically fills the spots?" So this is the big question going into camp, right? So we have the Bottom six center roles, you're looking at guys like Morgan Frost, hopefully, um, you know, Misha Vorobiev, uh, Scott Lawton, unfortunately guys like Yuri Laterra, um, you know, all those guys are going to be buying for spots. You know, Lawton, you know, guys like Lawton, they're locks for the roster, whether they end up at center or wing. I mean, I think Lawton's going to be a center of this team, whether it's three C or four C is yet to be determined, obviously. Um, but that was the question. Um, you know, in terms of who ends up where, Vorobiev to me is a guy that I think can really help. I talked about this um, on you know, the podcast on Monday. Um, he's a guy that brings a dimension to this roster that the Flyers just don't have, which is a guy that loves to make plays from behind the net. That is a huge, huge, huge aspect of hockey that I think it's really missed in this team-specific system. Um, whether it's on the power play, whether it's at five on five, behind the net is a great area. I mean, it, it, it forces literally everyone on the ice to take their eyes off the play in front of them and look behind the net. So you're asking for trouble as a defensive player in that situation. Um, so, you know, the goalie can't see behind him. So it's a situation where, you know, a lot of good things can come from that. And I, I think it's, it's something that, again, the Flyers don't take advantage enough of, and it's something that Vorobiev really strives in. Um, you know, watching him in the World Juniors last year, he had nine assists, I think, in, in the tournament. And just about all of them, it seemed like, came from down low, below the goal line, around that, you know, corner area. Um, just feeding guys in front for slam dunk pucks. And it's 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 just common sense, right? So I, I think, and on top of that, the organization really likes him. So I, I think he's going to get a legitimate shot. You know, I don't think the Couturier injury really has anything to do with that. It, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. But, um I think Vorobiev just legitimately has a good shot at this roster. I think Hextall's and Pryor, um, you know, guys that are really high up in the organization, really, really like him. They have since they drafted him. Um, so I expect him to get a legitimate chance at this spot. Whether that's 3C or 4C, I don't really know. I, I think he'll get looks at both. Um, he'll probably start lower on the totem pole and work his way up like any other rookie would have to. Um, but I think he will get a legitimate look. Morgan Frost, talent-wise, he might be, 
you know, the fourth best center, if we're still including um, Drew in this conversation, on this roster, just in terms of pure talent. Um, but it seems like the organization is still kind of pushing him down, saying, you know, he's got to get stronger. And by stronger, not just putting on weight, but physically able to handle the rigors of playing in the NHL. You know, not just playing against 16- to 20-year-old kids, playing against grown men. Um, so that's something he's going to have to prove in camp. And if he can hold his own, I don't see any reason why he can't push his way onto the roster in a way that, you know, similar way to connect me a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I'd put his chances at like a 30% chance. You know, I, I don't think it's, it's great, but I don't think it's minuscule. I think people are taking Pryor's comments from the other day. I think there was an article about Pryor talking about how basically there's no chance that Frost is going to make this roster. I think he's taking it a little too far. I, I think, there could be some, you know, trying to dampen the expectations kind of, you know, mold on that comment. Um, you know, try to keep the pressure off him as much as you can so that he can come in and, and just play and try to make the roster as opposed to trying to think, I have to fill this specific role in this team this year and I have to play this way or it's not going to work. You know, because that's not what we want to do, right? We want to want more Frost to be more Frost. Uh, so I think there could be some truth to that. You know, in, in terms of Laterra, obviously I'd rather not play at all. Um, and then Lawton, I think Lawton equipped himself as a 3C last year, so I wouldn't have a problem with him starting as a 3C this year. I know it's not exciting necessarily to have him as a 3C, but I think he's fine. If you put him with guys like Simmons and Lindblom, that can finish for him. Um, you know, Lawton did a good job of driving play last year for the most part, and um, – you know, I think if you have guys on his wings that are talented and that can finish plays that he necessarily doesn't do a great job of doing himself, they could be a competent third line. The Flyers are deep at forward this year for the most part. So, um, you know, I don't think it's crazy to think that Lawton could have success at that, at that position this year. Uh, let's see. The next question I got was from Steve Milner. Um, this was a good question, actually. So what are going to be the top three most underrated Flyers games this year? Like, best games not against a high-profile team? That is a great question. Um, so when I think of games that I, you know, want to focus on or, or um, you know, exciting games, I usually look for, um, like, the young, up-and-coming good players that are going to be in the league. So um, games that I kind of – I just kind of went through the schedule before I jumped on here and – um, November 21st at Buffalo, that's going to be the first time the Flyers play the Sabres this year. Rasmus Dahlin is going to be on that team, obviously. Um, he's an exciting defenseman to watch. You know, on top of the guys like Eichel and Reinhardt and Middlestat's going to be there this year. So there's a lot of young talent on Buffalo. I, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be a great team this year, but um, it's still exciting to see young players, and, and Rasmus Dahlin is going to be one of those guys to watch. Um, December 31st. Um, New Year's Eve, that's, that's actually the first time the Flyers play Carolina this year. Um, Carolina has Rod Brendan Moore as their head coach now, um, so there's some Flyers ties there. And, and um, again, looking at young players, Andrei Sveshnikov, uh, to me, was easily the best forward in this draft class, so uh, this past draft. So uh, he's going to be somebody to watch, um, really good, young, exciting player just tore up the OHL last year. It wasn't even fair. Um, you know, in terms of home games, you're looking at Edmonton, whether you call that a high-profile game or not. I just always like seeing the best players in the game. So Connor McDavid, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. He's playing at home. It's a 1 o'clock game on a Saturday. Um, so that could be a good game for people to go to. Um, you know, in some other games, I mean, December 15th, Elias Pedersen. Vancouver coming. Uh, Flyers are going to be going to Vancouver December 15th. So it's a late night game, but again, it's a Saturday. So it's, it's not a week that it's a game that people can actually stay up for. Um, Elias Patterson is a phenomenal player. He was a guy that I actually, you know, if the Flyers hadn't jumped up from 13 to 2 and gotten Nolan Patrick, uh, Elias Patterson was a guy that I was kind of hoping the Flyers could move up for or hopefully fall to 13. He didn't. Obviously, he went, I think, fourth to Vancouver. Um, and rightfully so. He's he's a phenomenal player. He and this is nothing against Nolan Patrick or Nico Heischer. He may end up being the best player in this draft. Um, he's just that good. So that's a guy that you want to watch. Um, and then something I found interesting when I went through the schedule 
So in terms of how the schedule broke out, for whatever reason, the Flyers in the month of March have 10 of their 15. They have 15 games in March. 10 of their 15 games are going to be against teams in the Metro. So March is going to be a huge month regardless because it's going to be you know, the last month of the season is when you make your playoff push. The fact that 10 of the 15 games that they play are going to be against the Metro division is huge, um, especially considering only four of those games are at home. So they have to go on the road six times against their divisional opponents. And, you know, hopefully the Flyers are in good enough standing at that point that it's not going to matter a huge amount if they shit the bed or if they at least only do so-so in that 10-game period. Um, but that's a huge, huge month. Uh, I mean, no other month of the season are they playing their division more than, I think, four times. So I don't know why the schedule broke out that way, but it's it's that's a tough, tough haul in the last, you know, 34 days or so of the season. If you're going to throw, you know, April into that, they actually have 11 of their last, like, 18 games against the Metro. So it's, it's tough, um, and that's going to be a huge stretch for them. So something to keep an eye on moving forward for sure. Uh, let's see. Was there any other questions from Twitter? I think that was it on Twitter. Um, so if any of you guys have any questions here, let's see. Uh, Lawrence Hand says, I can't wait for Carter Hart to come up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exciting, right? Um, he'll be at camp this year. I'm sure he'll, he'll put on a show this year in camp. Um, Hexel's going to want to have him play some pro hockey first, which is understandable, but it's going to be nice to see him in camp this year. I think last year he looked even a little overmatched in camp. In certain situations, I think he even talked about this past year or this past um, dev camp how, uh, you know, the biggest challenge for him was getting used to the speed of the release of the players here and um, speed of the shots of the players at, at the pro level. You know, sometimes you – he said sometimes you deal with, you know, players at the junior level, they're just kind of shooting – you call them flutter pucks at you. Um, and that doesn't really happen at the NHL level. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see the difference between last year and this year. Um, you know, at training camp. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Camp starts the 14th this year. Uh, runs from the 14th to the 16th. Um, for those of you that are interested, I think it's Friday through Sunday. Um, Craig asked, other than Carter Hart, who excites, who's exciting is joining the Phantoms? Rupsov. Yeah, uh, Rupsov is one of those guys. Um, Verobia, uh, not Verobia, sorry. LaBerge is another guy I know has kind of fallen off the map. Um, but he's a guy I'm looking forward to. I think he, he took a, a nice step forward last year towards the end of the year um, when he got traded um, to, I think it was Quebec he got traded to, if I remember correctly, from Victoriaville. Um, he had a nice kind of finish to the season, and I think he started gaining his confidence back and started gaining his hands back. Um, you know, I know a lot of people got hung up on DeBrinket and how great he looked last year in Chicago. And that's, it's fine. I'm not going to debate that with you, but LeBurge was a talented player. Um, still is a talented player. He just, you know, that concussion was just a huge blow to his development and just overall physical well-being. Um, you know, it was a vicious hit. Um, you know, that guy that hit him, I don't, I'm not sure if he's still playing. He shouldn't be, in my opinion, for doing something like that. But, um, Anyway, he's a guy that I'm looking forward to seeing. I think if, if they can get him, his confidence back in his abilities, uh, he's somebody that could surprise some people in terms of how well he can produce. Um, I must be looking at the, at the AHL level. Carter Hart, obviously. I mean, that's, that's going to be a given there. Um, you know, Bill Myers, if he doesn't make the roster, is just obviously going to be somebody that's going to go back and dominate. So, I mean, the Flyers are going to have a lot of a lot of depth there. Carson Torinsky is a guy that I think a lot of people are starting to get excited about. I'm still not sure if I'm sold on his path yet. He wasn't a guy that I was too high on when they drafted him. Um, it's great that he dominated the way he did his you know his draft plus two season. Um, I just don't I don't know what he is. Like he feels like a He feels like a like a you know energy checking kind of forward that just was able to dominate because he was bigger and stronger and older than everybody at the junior level. So uh, we'll see what he can do. Um, Connor Bunneman Bunneman is another guy that he kind of 
fell off at the end of last year. Um, you know, in terms of his scoring production, he got off to a good start, then hit a rough patch, and had a really good streak, and then just was not so great the rest of the time. Um, so, uh, but he's somebody that you know he has scoring ability. He's a shoot first type of player, which is nice. Uh, it's just a matter of whether he can start to put it together a little bit more. Um, but there's there's plenty to watch for the Phantom. I mean, Phantoms, I think, with Hextall there, are going to be a team that's going to be perennially fun to watch with how they draft. Um, so they're going to be constantly graduating guys and bringing guys up, and it should be should be a good season for them again. Um, see, Lawrence, again, so if the, if the goaltending sucks this year, don't you think it would be a good idea to let the young kids get a chance in the crease? Maybe. Maybe. Depend. I mean, I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Hart got a game or two at some point this year towards the end of the year if he's playing well with the Phantoms and Axtell does what he does and runs the goalies in the ground. Hart may have to come up. <laughs> um, you know, it depends. It depends on how well he adjusts to his first year in the AHL, um, how he adjusts to playing back-to-back-to-back games. Um, you know, the scheduling is going to be a little bit different, it's a little bit longer. Um, but, yeah, it's possible. And, and in terms of, like, Alex Lyon, I mean, Lyon could get 10, 15 games. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be against that. Um, I think it's highly likely, to be honest. Again, going back to just how the goalies are and how Hackstall handles goalies. Um, does Hart have a chance, Chris? No, I don't. I don't think so. Not I can't. Um, you know, again, anybody could just come up and knock their socks off and, and be great in camp, right? Um, goalie, it's just it's so hard to make that adjustment. It really is. I mean, it's, there's a reason you don't see a lot of 20-year-old goalies in the NHL. Um, the jump for them is just so massive. And for him to make it, you know, right out of camp, I just don't think it's fair to him to expect that. Um, I think it'll be fun to watch. I think he'll, he'll do some things that are going to get fans excited for sure. Um, I'm sure he'll get a lot of looks in preseason. Um, but I think – He's going to spend the full year in the AHL, and he probably should. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, what are your thoughts? So, Andrew had this really long comment. I'm going to kind of skip to the bottom of that. Sorry, Andrew. Um, what are your thoughts on Hart and his capabilities this year, years to come? Do you see the writing on the wall as I do? Yeah, so, I mean, I was just kind of talking about that, right? I mean, Hart did things at the junior level that really nobody had done before. Um, You know, I didn't take the time to go all the way back in history, and I don't know if there's numbers even going that far back, obviously. But, you know, just based on the last, like, even 20, 30, 40 years, he did things that just nobody really did. Um, He flat-out dominated last year. I mean, you could argue that he was the best player in junior hockey last year, not just goalie and not just in the WHL. You could argue he was the single most dominant player in junior hockey last year um, based on his numbers and his level of play. So, you know, I don't want to make that, again, like we just talked about, I don't want to make that out to believe that he's definitely going to start the year with the Flyers and and he's definitely going to play this year, um, you know, as a significant factor and goal um, for the Flyers. But uh, I do see the writing on the wall in terms of his potential. I mean, I, it's, it's hard with goalies. You know, goalies are, are hard to, to evaluate and project. But, um, you know, it, like it's hard to argue with his numbers. That's that's kind of where, where I land on that, his, his numbers, his, his attitude. Um, the kid's not on Twitter. I mean, you know, he, just blocks everything out. He's just—he's so focused, laser focused. He's, it reminds me of Provorov in that sense. Like he just seems like a, a kid that eats, sleeps, and breathes hockey. Um, and when you're that laser focused and that driven to be great, generally those guys tend to do that. So you know, it's not to say that other pro athletes don't, but there's you know, there's always steps above that. And I think Carter Hart's on that kind of level. 
uh, Misha is a dark horse for 3C. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if he's a dark horse necessarily. I, I think he's going to have a legitimate chance at, you know, a bottom six center role this year. I know he's young, so I guess that's why he's considered a dark horse, but and he's not technically a full-time roster player yet, but I don't know if I would consider him a dark horse. I, I think he's got a legitimate shot. Um, Nick asks, what if we started our three best centers at center? 28, 14, and 19 each centering a line. I know they like G at wing, but it's August and I'm bored. <laughs> what would your ideal lines look like in that scenario? Um, so I was a big proponent last year of keeping Drew at center, uh, mostly because I wanted to ease Patrick into that kind of 2C role. Uh, now that I've seen him at wing and how he looks with Couturier, I'd really rather keep them together. I don't see – I mean – the Giroux-Couturier-Konechny line in particular, even the Giroux-Couturier-Vorchek, but Giroux-Couturier and Konechny were phenomenal last year. They were phenomenal. They were ridiculous. And I don't see a reason why, to, why you would want to break that up. You know, if you can have one of the best lines in hockey, and I do think they have that ability, um, if you can have one of the best lines in hockey, you should do it, especially considering the depth the Flyers have at forward. I talked about that a little bit earlier. The Flyers are deep at forward this year. They go 9, 10, maybe even 11 deep. At forward, um, depending on how they want to, you know, put their roster together. But you know, for shits and gigs, if we want to go with that, um, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, honestly, I would keep Couturier as the one seed in that scenario. Um, let Drew have a little bit easier, you know, easier offensive zone starts, easier deployment, um, and that way Patrick has even easier deployment than that. Um, I'd probably put JVR and Konechny with Giroux. Uh, probably Limblom, Kateri, and Vorchek is a line that I wanted to see last year. I think that could have success. Um, I'd probably put them, those three together. And then you could have, I guess, Patrick, Simmons, and um, some like Wheel. You know, that was a line that they tried last year. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Yeah, like Patrick, Patrick Simmons and Wheel. Maybe Wheel can, you know, develop uh, or rekindle what he had two years ago. Um, let's see what else we got here. Hakan, what do you think about David Cache and the fans? Is Cache playing for the – that I have to check. I'm not sure if Cache is, is playing for the fans this year. I think he's still – I thought he might have still been playing the Sweden League. If he is in, in the AHL this year, um, I like David Cache. Um, uh, for those of you that follow Alex Appleyard on Twitter, he's a very big fan of David Cache. Um, he thinks he's actually better than his older brother Andre. Um, in terms of just raw talent. You know, from that perspective, um, Cache is like a little energy guy. He's got skill, but he's similar stylistically. You know, I'm not comparing talent, but stylistically, he's similar to Connecting. That's just his motor's always going. Um, you know, Taylor Lear is probably, I guess, a better comparison overall to Cache. Um, I think Cache has a little more talent. He's got better hands than Taylor Lear. Um, had a good year for in, in, for the Swedish in the Swedish league last year. Um, so he's a guy that, if he is playing for the Phantoms, I'm definitely interested in watching him play. Um, whether he can make that final push to the NHL, I'm not sure. He's he's definitely on a small side, um, and he's not the quickest skater. So so you know, as much as I don't think we should discriminate against smaller guys, you know, if, if you're not going to have some type of elite skill. Um, while you're that small, it's going to be hard for you to crack the NHL and be successful. So um, I'm not sure if, if he's got enough to be a you know a legitimate like middle six player in the NHL. But um, he's definitely an intriguing player. Um, in Dark Horse, I meant Hacks. Oh, in terms of Verbiev, yeah, Andrew. That's yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, that being said, I do think Misha is the type of player that Axel would like. He's big body. He's defensively responsible. You know, he's a two-way type player. Um, 
So he's not in the same mold as like a Sandheim or Ghost or Connecting where he's going to feel like he has to sit him down all the time because he's not doing his job. I think Verobio is similar in lim- to Limblom's case, right, where they're very responsible young players for their age. And um, just stylistically, they, they, you know, they, they just happen to have skill on top of their ability to play two and hockey. Um, so I don't think it would really be a situation where Hackstall would feel like he has to bench him on a fairly routine basis. Um, anything else? Kasha, pronounced Kasha. I've, yeah, I've heard Kasha, Kashe. I just know it's not the case. Uh, Any other comments or questions? If we can pull a, off a deal for patches on a one-year rental, I wouldn't mind putting G back to center. Put him as a 2C, though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Or they could just put patches in the top six, move everybody else down a notch. Limblom, imagine the fourth line of, like, Limblom, Vorobiev, and, and Obe Kubel. You know, <laughs> the one of the most talented, if not the most talented fourth line in hockey. I wouldn't mind that. Um, but yeah, I guess if you, you could technically, I just, I like the way Kateri and Drew work together. I think, um, Corey's, I think is not the same as Brown Snyder. Um, if you guys don't follow him on Twitter, you should, he's a really good analytics guy. Um, he put out some passing metrics, um, yesterday or two days ago. Um, Kind of showing like who passes to who most, um, you know, and who was more of the passer, who was more of the shooter in those situations. Kateri and Giroux were all over each other in terms of, you know, making plays for each other. Um, I think the chemistry is obvious, and that's something that they should keep together. You know, um, and I'll admit, I'll be the first one to admit again. Like I said last year, I was a big proponent of keeping Giroux at center to keep the center depth. Um, and even at times moving him off of Couturier's wing to get them going a little bit when Patrick was struggling the first half of the season. But it's undeniable how good they are together, and uh, I think it's something that not just benefits Couturier, but helps prolong Drew's career. And uh, you know, if you can get Drew to have more 60, 70, 80-point seasons going forward, you should do that. So um, you know, I think that's a situation that they can – move forward. You know, I'm, all, I'm a big proponent of finding, you know, I think it's, it's a Scotty Bowman thing, but a big proponent of, of finding two players that work really well together and then finding a third guy that complements those two. And that's how you build your forward lines. So to me, you have Kateri and Giroux should be together, right? Patrick and Voracek, that was another one, a big connection last year. They should be together. Um, you know, and then you kind of build it from there. Um, in your top six. JVR to me is a natural fit next to Patrick and Borchek as, as a natural scorer with two more natural playmakers. Even though Patrick's got a phenomenal shot, he should use it more this year. <laughs> um, you know, Konechny, we already talked about how great that line was, so that's an obvious connection there. Um, I talked a little bit earlier about how Limblom Simmons can benefit a lot, and I think that's a good combination there. Um, it's kind of a, a gritty, but also a talented third line that can try to play and really agitate, you know, um, opponents and put the bucket in that. Um, so that's something you can look at. And even, even if you want to substitute for Obiev in that situation as a 3C between Limblom and, and Simmons, that could even be a better uh, version of that line. Yeah, and then your fourth line is basically putting together the, the rest of the talented players on the roster. Um, talented players on the roster, Dave. Talented. Uh, hopefully. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's – that's how I look at things, you know, when, when I'm looking at building lines. Um, Andrew, I don't care where anybody plays, actually. I haven't been this side of the Flyers in a long time. Javier was perfect fit. I, I agree. Um, definitely agree. Uh, the Flyers are – Probably in their best, from a talent perspective, this is probably the best team that they've had since 
Yager was here, so probably 2011. Um, this is a good team on paper. We'll see if the coaching staff can make the proper adjustments to make sure that they get the most out of this team. But this is a good team on paper. Um, and if they're put in the right situation, if uh, you know the system is tweaked, if the penalty kill in particular gets better, um, I mean, they just just a top 15. That's all I'm even asking for. A top 15 penalty kill. If they can be in the top half of the league, that would be that would just do wonders for this team because the power play is going to be great. Um, you know, I wrote an article almost two months ago now, back in July, about power play and different situations that they can, different setups they can use for the power play. Now the JVR is here. Um, they have a lot of options for the power play this year. And I think it's for the first time in a long time they can have a second unit that um, can be legitimate and actually, you know, be a unit they can depend on for more than 20 seconds at a time, um, which is huge. So, and then five on five, I mean, they really even weren't that bad five on five last year. They were league average. Um, and they have players that dominated at five on five last year. So if they can just continue to put those pieces together and, you know, find the right system to get these guys going, like I talked about earlier, I don't see any reason why this team can't get to the second round. Um, barring injuries and weird things, of course. You know, hopefully the Couturier injury isn't that serious. Coots, do your PT. Flyers, make sure he's with a good PT. I'm sure he is. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, that's that's kind of how I look at this at this season. They're they're. They're in good. They're in good position this year. Should be excited. It's our Philly sports radio revolution. <laughs> uh, what I would do to get some better people on Philly radio. That'd be great. Connecting's goal against Bergeron was the best of the year. Best for the Flyers for sure. That was that was the top goal of the year around the NHL. I thought that was. You know, when I saw that goal happen, um, I went back and thought, and I was like, you know, the Flyers haven't really had a guy that can do that in a very long time. So it was really exciting, you know, to see a Flyer actually be able to pull off a move like that. Um, all comes back to goaltenders like always. Yeah, Andrew, very true. Um, can't stop the puck. It's going to be hard to win. But – I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think the Flyers are in a bad situation goaltender-wise from a talent perspective. Brian Elliott's a solid goalie if he's used properly. Nuvi is a solid goalie if he's used properly. I think that's the key. You know, if, if Axel can get out of that mode of running goalies into the ground, I think, you know, they can be serviceable. I mean, the first, I think it was the first two months of last season, they were top five, if not top, they might have had the best five-on-five -five save percentage in the NHL for the first like month or two of the season. Um, small sample, I know, but even for a decent stretch, I think even into January, they were at least still top five. It wasn't until kind of that January to February stretch where, you know, Elliot got hurt and Nuvi got hurt and they had to use the line and go through this whole carousel again where things started falling off the wagon a little bit. Um, that's a big adjustment that Axel needs to make this year. If, if it can do a better job of, of getting a, a true goalie tandem scheduled together, um, that would be a huge boost to this team. Um, so I think we'll, we'll stop there, guys. Um, good conversation, as always. Uh, fun to be back talking to you all. Um, next Saturday, we'll be back again. Uh, believe Steph will be here next Saturday. So um, it should be a great show. Uh, thanks for joining me this morning. It was fun. As always, great talking to you guys. Um, oh, real quick, do you want to sign Simmer and term money? Uh, yeah, the Simmer situation. I'm kind of in the camp where if it's going to be over three years, I'd rather they just let him even walk at this point. I'd, I'd rather trade him if you can, but I don't want to get bogged down into a five or six year deal paying him, you know, upwards of $6 million a year. If, uh, 
if that's what it's going to take. But we'll see. Simmer's a guy that I want to keep just because I love Wayne Simmons. Um, but I don't want to be a part of his decline. So if they can move him for, you know, good pieces, great. If you can sign him for cheap, I mean, look, if it's a six-year deal for $4 million a year, I'm fine with that. Um, but I even rather give him, like, $8 million a year over three years. Um, shorter the term, the better, in my opinion. What sense? Um, but yeah, so uh, like I said, um, you know, season's just around the corner, guys. It's not that far away. We're looking at like three weeks until camp. Camp starts the 14th of September. Um, preseason games start very soon after that. So we're getting close, guys. Getting close. Um, for now, I'll sign off and uh, have a good rest of the weekend, everybody. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from the Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.